everybody? Good to see y'all. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us online, whether you're today or sometime in the week when you're watching this. So thanks for watching. Hey, we are in this series today called Jesus People. Let's all say that together. Jesus People. You know why I do that? It's not so you'll remember it, so I will. So y'all help me out here. Um, but we are in this series. And so it doesn't matter where you are on the spiritual spectrum. You know, you may be new, kind of figuring it out. What's it look like to be a Jesus person? And, and I'm going to kind of talk through the Bible today. I'm going to talk for about 35 minutes and you're going to be transformed and changed. It's going to be awesome. And so um, you may be kind of somewhere in the middle of the journey, maybe a little complacent. And maybe today we'll hopefully will encourage and inspire you. Um, you may just be solid in faith and like, hey, what do I need to do? I'm ready to take the hill. I'm ready to charge hell with a water pistol. What do I do? Today's your day, right? And so this is kind of how this topic's going to go. Two weeks ago when we started this series, we started with Jesus is our message. You know, because you can't forget the main thing, can you? You always have to start with the main thing. And if you came in the lobby, you noticed we have these big, big letters that say Jesus on it simply because we want to always keep the main thing, the main thing. Last week, we talked about now, Jen. Uh, and it was a great Sunday. It was Mother's Day. You know, I, I walked into a few delicate cultural topics um, that if you didn't hear that, you definitely want to go back and listen to that. And then we also had one of our students actually come on stage and present the gospel. Come on, somebody like that was, that was epic. It was so much fun. And then today I want to talk about we bleed boldness. Jesus people bleed boldness. And so what what does that even mean? Because sometimes people equate boldness with somebody who's obnoxious. Amen. You ever met anybody? Yeah, they were bold because they were really obnoxious. Um, and I don't know what you think about when you think about bold. Like this week I was at the grocery, grocery store. I was at Kroger and I was going through the self-checkout. And as I'm going through, there's a lady in front. You know, I think it says, I think at Kroger it's like 12 items. Is that right? Something like 12 items if you're going through the self-checkout. And I get through, she has two buggies full of stuff going through the self-checkout. I'm like, woman, that is bold right there. I mean, it was, it was something special. Anybody ever have a mullet you thought it was cool, right? Nah, bold move. Stupid, but bold. Um, you know, we, we do some things and we're like, that's bold. And that's not what we're talking about today, but we're going to unpack that. Now, as we look at this idea of boldness, what we see, we see, we see a transition, a transformation in the life of the disciples, Jesus, very early followers, they go from fear and trepidation and hiding into, into boldness and actually making a difference. And I think we all know that bold people change the world. That, that fortune favors the what? The bold. And most people that I know, they've got some type of boldness written in their heart. It just looks a little different for everybody. And so for the disciples, what they, were, they were living in fear. So what I want to do is I want, I want to unpack that for just a minute, kind of give us a picture of what they looked like, how they were living, the anxiety that they faced. Then there was something that happened that they got and they moved into boldness. And then how do we live that out? What does that look like for us in this century, in this time, in this day? Good. Good? All right. So in the Bible, what we see is Jesus had these early followers. Man, they just followed him all over the place. 24-7, they were with him. They walked with him. They sat around campfires and ate with him. He taught them. Um, they were able to ask him questions. He saw how he, uh, ch- they saw how he challenged the religious establishment, the way he waded into some of the arguments in the cultural context of the day. Uh, and, and they had this expectation that he was coming as a king that he was going to reign on his throne, that they were going to be able to step into this power and purpose because they were his closest followers. He had called them to follow him and they knew that they were important in his kingdom. And that's what they were expecting. But then they got Good Friday. They got Jesus executed. 
And even before Jesus was executed, while he was on trial, they began to jump like rats off of a ship. There was this one story in, in Luke chapter 22 about Peter. Peter was one of the chief disciples. And we see that later on, he is probably one of the boldest. Is, is he's kind of watching from a distance the trial. And a servant girl comes up to him, someone who, couldn't, who, could, who carried no weight, someone that nobody even cared about. And she looked at him and said, weren't you, weren't you with Jesus? And he's like, woman, I was not there. Woman, I don't know him. And he even cursed in the middle of that, just this level of intensity that I'm not going to be associated with him. Why? Because they'll kill me too. I'm afraid. And then as they kind of move on in the story, it says that all the disciples fled from him. They deserted him. No one stood up. No one said, no, no, we saw the miracles. No one said, wait a minute, wait a minute, you got the wrong guy. No one came to his defense. They all, they all fled. They deserted him. And then we find in, in John that on the evening of the Sabbath, right after he's executed, we find them hiding for what? For fear of the Jews. They are scared, they are alone, their founder's gone. The last three years of their life felt like a waste. They were hopeless and helpless and didn't know what to do. And something happened. It was almost like a switch flipped. A trigger was pulled. Something transformed their lives. And we find it in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 in your Bible. If you have your Bible, grab it and let's turn there. Also, you've got a card in your seat you could take some notes on. But Acts chapter 1, now Acts is the story of the early church. It's how the movement got started. You see, when Jesus came in his earthly life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that was just the beginning of what he came to do. He came to finish it through the what? Through the church, through Jesus' people, which is who we are. So in Acts chapter 1, the disciples, and they've seen him now, so they realize, oh, he's alive. Okay, so this is going to go better than we thought. And they begin to ask him, hey, when, when are you going to restore your kingdom? Like, when are we going to get our thrones? When are we going to get our positions? When are we going to get our power? And he shifts their attention with a promise. In verse 8, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, the opposite of what they just experienced, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So what Jesus has done here is all of a sudden he's given them this promise that they will be witnesses. They're going to be witnesses. This is the promise that they have. Now for us to be able to kind of shift from, from, being un, from not being bold to living in fear to kind of being bold and understanding what it means, this is the promise we have to understand. So, so as we look at this idea of witnesses in the Bible, there's three different categories that we see. Number one is just a spectator. You know, if you see something, you can verify that it actually happened. Like maybe last week you watched the Kentucky Derby when that long shot winner won. Anybody watch that, that horse win? Like anybody win a lot of money on that? You want to give to the church? Right here? Come on. Um, but we watched it. Maybe we weren't there. We, we were, watched it on television. But we, we can verify it happened. We saw it with our own eyes. It's just knowledge that you saw something happen. We watch a lot of things happen virally now, probably more than we ever have. Things that go viral in, you know, on social media. And we see them even though we don't really experience them. So that's being a spectator. Like the next level is called an endorser. It's like you experience something <clears throat> and then you're like, ooh. I want somebody else to experience that. Have you ever, have you ever maybe been talking to a friend and say, hey, what, what are you binge watching these days? Right? You're looking for somebody to give you a recommendation. 
know, when Debbie and I travel, we go on a road trip, we always want a, a podcast to listen to. Hey, what are, you, what are you listening to that's appropriate for a pastor and his wife, right? I mean, because you wouldn't believe what some people recommend to me, I'm telling y'all. But <laughs> no, but that's an endorser. When you leave a Yelp review, like you're endorsing something as long as it's positive, you're endorsing that. That's, that's not the kind of witness that he's talking about here. See, there's a next level of witness that Jesus is talking about here. And what happens, and we, I think we've all met people that this happens to, you experience something and you give your life to it. Like maybe you've been to a doctor's appointment and you talk to the nurse or maybe a therapist and you find out that when they were kids or they had a family member that something happened to them. And so they've given their life into the medical field because their relative faced a medical challenge. Or maybe some of you became teachers because you had a teacher that impacted you so, so deeply and was so good for you and encouraged you. You're like, I want to do that with the rest of my life. Or maybe it was a coach or maybe it was some, some other area you, you go into because you experienced it. See, this is, this is a level of witness that Jesus is talking about here. See, Jesus' people are bold owners of the mission because our lives have been changed so deeply. And if you think back to everything that God has done in your life, for those of you who have made this commitment to follow Jesus, everything that he has brought you, all the life that it has given you, the forgiveness that you have, you have gotten and received, the, the mission that you've been given, the purpose, the value, the identity, the stature, everything that we've been given, we can't help but tell other people, right? Because it has changed us fundamentally from an identity perspective. So he says, listen, you're going you're gonna to be my witnesses. That's a promise. And then he gives like these four different areas of where they're going to be witnessed. He starts in Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem for us is just kind of your local context. It's the people that we know. It's, it's the people that we sit in stands with and watch our kids play sports. It's our neighbors. It's the ones we hang out in the pool with, play golf with, go shopping with, have coffee with, work with. And so we have this ability, this opportunity to be a witness with people that we know that are close by. Then he, then he moves from Jerusalem to Judea, kind of like, that'd be like the, the, the state that you're in. So for us, our Judea is going to be like Atlanta. So one reason we launched a campus in Sandy Springs, just have this vision to keep move, uh, launching campuses and churches in the Atlanta area, simply because we want to be faithful to this idea of being a witness in Judea. And then you have Samaria. Now, Samaria is more than geography. Samaria is people that you don't like. Because for Jews in that day, they hated Samaritans. They were a different race, so there was racism involved. They were different religions, so there was some religious persecution involved. Um, and so when we think about carrying the gospel and being witnesses, we have to think about people that, you know, we may not even understand. And they don't, they don't think like us. They don't talk like us. They don't eat our kind of cooking kind of people. You know what I'm talking about? Like there's just people that we know that are so different from us. These are the type of people we have a command. And then you also have to the ends of the earth. There were to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's the reason we plant church in Nicaragua or in Belgium, or we have one we've helped in Vegas or wherever God would call us. We just, in Indonesia or India, like we wanna be faithful to this command to be witnesses. Now let me ask you this question. Are you, are, are you a resurrection spectator, endorser, or an owner? If you begin to examine your life and how your conversations are shaped and the way that you think about the mission God has given you and the urgency you place behind the boldness that you have, like which one would you kind of categorize yourself as? You, everyone starts out as a spectator, but eventually we move to being an endorser. And eventually from there, we move into being an owner. Like spectators would be, you know, you just kind of, you come to church, you enjoy it. Um, you see, you 
you know, find out some facts about the Bible. You learn some things that helps you. Or maybe, you know, you've moved into, oh, that would be really good. I know someone who should experience that. But then eventually, no matter where we are, no matter what our job is, we're an owner. And this is the way the movement moves forward. Like without this idea of ownership of the mission, of grabbing hold of it, Christianity is always one generation from extinction. Like who does that? Who puts the mission of the world into the hands of ordinary people with the potential of being one generation away? Man, God has given us a lot of faith, hasn't he? He trusts us deeply with this mission. And we have this dignity of having purpose in this mission. Now, now what I want to do next is there's a specific example out of this early church. I just want to use that. Help us to put some handles on this idea of what it means to be bold. Now, to give you a little context of, uh, of the story, it's over in Acts chapter 4, a few more pages over in this particular story of the Bible. So you have Peter and John, closest followers of Jesus. They've, uh, they've moved from fear and anxiety and silence to boldness. So they're just walking through telling people about Jesus. And they come across a guy in the town square there, uh, and he's, he's, he's paralyzed. He can't walk. He's paralyzed from the waist down. Everybody knows him. Everybody's probably thrown a few coins his way. Everybody knows his name. They've seen him every day for years. Peter and John walk by. Miraculously, he gets healed. Peter and John pray over him. He, he begins to walk. And then they continue telling people about Jesus. That's probably not a bad idea if you see a miracle. You should just say, oh, yeah, Jesus did that. Because if you take credit, you get struck by lightning. Just a little inside information. And so the, the religious leaders don't like that. So they arrest them. So now Peter and John have gone from being bold to being in prison. And watch, watch what happens. They begin to tell the, the, the religious leaders. They say, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, I don't know about you, but... But if I get arrested, I'm rethinking my strategy just a little bit. But not these guys. You see, Jesus people, they double down on Jesus, no matter what happens. Now, it, it goes on to say in verse 13 that when they, the religious leaders, saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus so here we see this idea of boldness come up. Um, and I do think that there's a little misunderstanding of what boldness is in our culture. You know, I think many of us may have seen on TV or maybe uh, in public uh, Christians who would have, you know, posters and protests and uh, oppose certain people and signs that say God hates whatever category of people that you want. That, that's not boldness, Okay. That's judgmentalism, right? That's not helpful to the gospel. That is hurtful to the gospel. And that's not what he's talking about boldness here. What's really cool is this word comes from a Greek word, which was prior to Greeks kind of beginning to take over the world and their way of thinking, there was no freedom of speech. And so this word in Greek culture literally means freedom of speech. I can speak for the permission to speak Freely. Now, we take that for, for, for granted most of the time. 
But this, this right was only given to Greek citizens. It wasn't given to slaves in the empire. It wasn't given to uh, people who were just visiting from other countries, whether they were visiting for business or for education. It was given only to the citizens of Greece. They had this freedom to speak. There was even a, a quote by one of the leaders in, when it first came, when this first began a riot. It says, there's no possession greater than boldness. And there is no greater loss than the loss of it. See, when you lose, when you lose the ability and the willingness and the urgency to speak about Jesus, you lose the mission. And we live in a cultural context where the urgency is higher than I can ever remember it. It feels like hatred has been unleashed on the world. You know, as we look into culture and what's happening and we read the news and we see the conflict and whether it's from the Supreme Court or whether it's to what just happened in Buffalo and everything in between, it feels like the urgency has never been greater for people like me and for people like you. Like, don't we know that silence is not going to solve the problem? And don't we know that laws and regulations, while we should be pushing for laws to change, we should have people who follow Jesus in every area of government and business, that the primary message that we carry is Jesus. This is the gospel. And Jesus has the power to transform lives. He has the power to mend what was broken. He has the power to put back what's been destroyed. This is the message that we have. And we can't lose the urgency or we will lose the mission itself. So Jesus gives us this mission and we see that boldness is just this permission to speak freely. And there's always action attached to it. Now the opposite, the opposite of boldness is just someone who's cautious, careful, politically correct. Like, I don't think anybody in this room wants, wants to go on their, wants to go the opposite of boldness. Like, think about your tombstone for a minute. Here lies Stephen Gibbs. August the 2nd, 1967. September 30th, 2057. Yes, I have thought about that. Politically correct. What a tragedy. What a tragedy that that would be what we live for. I mean, the opposite, what happens is silence. Have you ever had an experience where you knew you were supposed to speak up and you didn't and you regretted it? You know, we generally, we, we regret things we don't do more than things that we do. And I have to believe that at the end of the time, for those of us who follow Jesus, when we get to the end and we look back over our life, the number one thing we're going to regret is not speaking up about the message of the gospel. But we have so much opportunity. But we have to bleed boldness. You know, I love that Peter and John just said whatever, whatever came to their mind and that their, their action, there's also action attached to their words. You know, I think there's so many ways that maybe some of us need to step into boldness. You know, maybe for you, you need to issue a bold apology. You need to just go to somebody that you've offended and say, you know what, here's what I did. I'm sorry I did that. Will you forgive me? And when they say, no, no, it's okay, you say, no, it's not. Just a bold apology. You know, for some of you, maybe it's the, the, the move is baptism. You know, I know baptism for so many people feels like this monumental hurdle to jump over. But we know that when we give our life to Christ, he says to be baptized 
And maybe, maybe that's the step for you today. We're, we're going to baptize next week. I've never had anybody get baptized and say, hmm, that was a bad idea. Wish I didn't do that. <laughs> so maybe for you, that's the next step. You know, there may be a bold dream you need to start. There may be a bold conversation you need to have. There may be a bold text that you need to send. You know, when I, what I've learned is when I'm bold, and God just has a way of showing up. And yes, can you make a mistake? Absolutely. But can you change the world? Definitely. So Jesus' people, and they double down on Jesus, and they're bold. They're bold. Now, now, how, why were they bold? How did that happen? If you look in verse 13 again, it says, They saw the boldness of Peter and John. They perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, I love this. I think this gives people like me hope. It says, ordinary and common men. But they had been with Jesus. So just this idea of being ordinary. You know, I think most of us, we love the idea of watching somebody who seems ordinary just set the world on fire. Just come into their own. To step into purpose and meaning and, uh, and hope. That's why we love American Idol. Amen, somebody? <laughs> you know, you have some kid come on there who's from a town of like 220. And he's got one stop sign. Actually, it's not even a stop sign. It's a yield sign. The town is so small, right? And he's never sung professionally a day in his life. And, you know, and all of a sudden he gets up there with his guitar and his country twang. And it's like, what just happened? Garth Brooks reborn, right? We're just like, and he just steps into it, gets his record deal. And it just, we love that story. And I think one reason we love that story is because we want it to be our story. That we feel like maybe we're just ordinary and maybe we got nothing to offer. But with the gospel, it just casts this vision for our life of what could happen. I love that this, the second word that he uses here, that's common. He also uses uneducated. That literally means, it comes, that literally is the word where we get our word idiot from. So we all have hope, right? I mean, uh, that, and in that culture, idiot would not have meant kind of way we use idiot. It just meant, would have meant someone who just, they just kind of get the way life happens. They, they didn't go ivory to ivory league, you know, Ivy League school. They didn't get the diploma maybe they always wanted. They didn't have the job that everybody respects, but they just had a way of making things happen. They were just common and uneducated men. And it should cast a vision for us and the ability we have to change the world. Listen, your marriage may not have turned out how it wanted to. Like God can still redeem that in your life and God can still use you in the lives of other people. Listen, your kids may not have turned out like you wanted them to. You may have not had the kids like you wanted or you got the kids you're like, oh, how did that happen? I, I don't know what kind of parenting I did. They just didn't turn out the way I wanted. You may not have gotten the career path that you wanted, but what we see in the Bible is that God has a way of fueling bold people to make bold moves and to change the world. Jesus people, they've been with Jesus. This is the important part, I think. Jesus people had this personal faith. In Acts 4, 13, it says they were with Jesus. They prioritized being with Jesus. You know, I think a lot of times we don't want to speak up because we don't think we know enough. Like what exactly did happen at creation? <laughs> did Adam have a belly button? I mean, there's all these questions that get thrown out there. Like, I don't know enough to say anything. Hey, if you never even thought of that, did you? Sorry, I put it in your mind. <laughs> hey, if you know Jesus, you know enough. Amen, somebody? Like, if you know Jesus, you know enough. 
If you know what he did in your life, you know enough. If you know the hope that you have, that's the anchor for your soul, the peace that passes understanding, the joy that comes in the morning, listen, you know enough. And that's, that's, what, Peter, that's what Peter and John knew. They knew enough. But we have to prioritize spending time with Jesus. That's why worship's important. That's why coming and being together is so important. When we have, you have ability to come into a building and to see other people and just catch up a little bit and to sing and to hear God's word taught and to pray and to be encouraged. Worship's really important. We need to prioritize worship. We need to prioritize being here. We need to prioritize watching online when we can't be here. We need to prioritize worship. We need to prioritize being in a group. You ever notice how being with other people who are bold makes you bold? Like, I love that. Think about this. Like, if you were to, like, have a one you could pick one basketball team for one game and you were on the team you got to pick four other players I mean like who are you picking you picking Steph Curry or are you picking me I mean I know the answer to that question you're gonna pick people that are strong that can play that are good like we were we take our uh, pastors and we went to the beach for a off-site and we were playing we always play spike ball you guys know what spike ball is it's this game for young people y'all I'm gonna say that um so I pick teams because why because I'm just in charge and I can do that and so I picked the two best players. Why? Because I want to win. And you may, not, you may not know what that means to want to win. We can explain it to you later. But I want people on my team who get the mission, who understand what it's like. And we have, when we're with Jesus, this is the boldness that we have. We need to prioritize being in group. We need to prioritize daily, on a daily basis, reading God's word. And I realize that God's word has fallen out of favor in a lot of places these days. But that doesn't mean it's the power of God's word to change your life is, is gone, does it? It doesn't mean that God's word doesn't still transform you. It doesn't change you. It doesn't give you hope. It doesn't give you a light to, to guide you into the future. It doesn't speak truth into a world where truth is relative. And we, we, need, we need God's word, not as a weapon to use against people, but as a lighthouse to point the way forward, right? And so it, when, we, when we begin to neglect those, we neglect God. Listen, we need to be sure we prioritize time with Jesus. Hey, does, does, your, does, does time with Jesus define your day and your week? Does it define your day? It clearly defines today because you came. But, but moving beyond here, does it define your week every single day? Hey, that's where you'll find some boldness it's because of who you are with. Now, Jesus' people have a personal faith, but Jesus' people also have an unmistakable public faith. So let's unpack this one for just a second. You know, religion seems fine as long as it's what? Private. What are the two things you can't talk about? Religion and politics. Now everybody talks about politics, right? But we, we feel like religion is something that should be kept private. You know, George Carlin, this comedian, kind of gave the 11th commandment and it's, you know, Thou shalt keep your religion to thyself. And that's the way we should live. But that's not what Christians are called to do. Like we have a personal faith. Don't miss this. A personal faith, not a private faith. It's not private. Jesus' execution wasn't private. His resurrection, not private. His church, not private. It's public. This is the way the mission moves forward is with Christians who live their lives out loud and live it in public. Now, is there a way to go about doing that? I think boldness looks different for different people. So let's say you're an introvert. How many introverts in here? You won't raise your hand because you're a what? Introvert. <laughs> so for an introvert, you want to have like four relationships and go really deep. And you want to have deep conversations. 
If you go to a party, you're like, I don't know how many times I can talk about the weather. I mean, that's your life. But you have this ability to have conversations with people on a level that most people can't have. Because you'll ask questions, you'll be interested, and you won't be just acting interested, you will be interested. And you'll be able to just talk to the people about what God's done in your life and be able to navigate and help them. That's, that's just the way that you can be bold. Now, extroverts, y'all are waiting for your turn. Go ahead, raise your hand. <laughs> Man, us extroverts, like we want to go to a party with 100 people and have 30 seconds with all of them, okay? And, and th- that's different. For a lot of extroverts, you're connectors. You can connect a lot of people into something. That, that's the way that you can live a bold life. It looks different for different people, but it always, always, always involves our word. Remember, boldness is what? Freedom of speech, permission to speak freely. There, there's a quote by a guy named St. Francis of Assisi. It's not really the quote, but it's a quote that's attributed to him. And it says this, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Some of you have heard this. That's actually not even an accurate quote, and it's not even biblical, because you can't preach the gospel without using words. We have to tell people the gospel. We have to invite people to come and see what we've experienced. Now, should our lives be a reflection of the gospel? Absolutely. We, we should always live a life where people are like, that is different. That's amazing i tell you one thing that used to frustrate me and some of you guys that used to wait tables. You know how this goes. Sunday afternoon, you're waiting tables and someone leaves you what appears to be a $20 bill and it turns out not to be a 20. It's a Christian tract that gives the four spiritual laws and there is no money in that. Like, don't ever do that and then invite somebody to this church, right? Because sometimes our actions do take away from the message. So we want to obviously live out the gospel, but eventually we have to use our words and we have to tell people the gospel. This is, this is the way it looks. Jesus' people would have an unmistakable public faith. I wonder why we're not more public with our faith. Like, why, why am I not more public? Why are you not more public with your faith? I think sometimes we'll say this, I just want to love them. And then they'll see Jesus in me and then they'll know what to do. Right? It's going to be an instinct. And the, and the truth is, if we love somebody, and we know the life-saving message, the critical element to their life, and we don't tell them, we, we have to ask ourselves, I have to ask myself, do I really love them? Or do I just love the idea of me being effective? How much love do we have when we don't tell somebody life-saving information? You know, sometimes, sometimes we don't tell people, we're just afraid of criticism. We're all recovering approval addicts. Amen, somebody? Like, we all want approval. We don't want to be criticized. We want to fit in. We don't want anybody to think, man, that was weird. Like, we, we don't like that. It reminds me of a story of Mayor Daley in Chicago back in 1968 when the Democratic National Committee had their convention in Chicago, and he took all kind of flack for a lot of things that went wrong. And he was always kind of a master of putting his foot in his mouth, and he said this, He said, they have vilified me, they have crucified me, and they have even criticized me as if criticism was worse than crucifixion. And for some of us, it is. We we are so concerned about being criticized, but hey, criticism leads to conversion. The blood of the martyrs, they say, is the seed of the church. God has this ability to move into areas where there's criticism and to build up his people and to rescue people from that. Hey, we have got to be a, a people that have a public faith. You know, Jesus' people also, 
They also pray bold prayers. If you looked at the end of this story, after Peter and John get arrested, they get out of prison. They go to the house church where everybody was meeting. And it says in verse 29, it says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Now, I don't know about you, but if I just got out of prison, I'm going home, I'm getting my gratitude journal. And I'm saying, Lord, thank you that I'm not still in prison. <laughs> like, that's what I'm, help me not to go back there. Give me a different strategy. But they don't do that. They pray for more boldness to do the thing that got them in prison in the first place. It says, while you stretch out your hand to heal, signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Notice two things that happened. They prayed bold prayers. Man, they, they leaned in and they said, God, give us, give us an open door. Show us where we need to go. Give us next steps. Help us to be bold. Help us to have freedom of speech. They prayed for boldness. But they also did it together. Man, you, you need bold people in your life. Have you ever been around someone who just encouraged you, made you feel better, gave you confidence, maybe even held you a little bit accountable to what you really want to do in life? And we need bold people in our lives to help us be the people that we want to be. Man, what bold prayers will you pray this week? Like when you get up in the morning, we just ask, hey, God, open a door for me. Man, put me in front of somebody. Help me meet a need and share what you've done in my life. Like what kind of bold prayers will you pray this week? You know, in, in, in the very last chapter of the book of Acts, we see boldness in the very last chapter of the very last verse in Acts chapter 28. The whole book is characterized by most theologians as bold. And then we have some, we have some words about Paul, who was the greatest missionary to ever live. And in verse 30, it says that he lived there two years. He's in prison in Rome at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You see, the book of Acts ends with boldness. And, and the church continues its mission with boldness. You know, just as we kind of recap where we've been today, man, we've got to prioritize spending time with Jesus. It has to be something that's in every day. It has to filter our conversations, our decisions, our relationships. We have to prioritize being with Jesus. And we need to pursue bold people. You have any friends in your life who are bold, who embolden you? who breathe life, who fan into flame, who build a fire in you. We need to pursue those people, be around those kind of people. We need to pray bold prayers. Hey, God, do something amazing in my life. God, put, push me a little bit out of my comfort zone. God, help me to do something I never thought I would be able to do. We need to pray bold prayers. Hey, and then this one doesn't start with a P, but invite one person. Like there's one person God's put in your world. There's one person probably already come to mind you don't know who that person is you should pray for that person but a very easy step to move into boldness is just to invite one person to come with you on a Sunday just to experience everything that you've experienced today you know I'm going to close out today by uh, reading a, a declaration of boldness it was written by a missionary by the name of Avery Willis and it is a bold proclamation and I think it's something that we all um, will be inspired by I know I am every time that I read it he says this he says I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed I have Holy Spirit power 
The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need prominence or prosperity or position or promotions or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith. I lean on his presence. I walk by patience. I live by prayer and I labor under his power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven. The road is narrow, my way is rough. My companions are few, my guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I can't be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary or negotiate at the table of my enemy. I won't ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know and work till he stops me. And I love this part. And when he comes for his own, I'll have no problem recognizing me because my boldness will be clear. Man, let that be said of Stone Creek Church. Amen. Let's pray together. As you just kind of think through your life and some of the things that we talked about, you know, for you today, you know, it's just time. It's time to take the bold step to begin to follow Jesus. Uh, you've kind of been a spectator for way too long. You sat on the outside and looked in. You know the stories. You know the facts. You probably know more about the Bible than I do. But you don't know Jesus. You never spent time with him. And I just want to help you with that today just to take that step. It's so important. And so I'm going to just lead you in a prayer today. If that's you, just your decision is to follow Jesus. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer today. And it's just a prayer that's the commitment of your heart. Hey, God, I believe that you are good. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. You know, in your mind, just name them. I trust that Jesus came, died for my sins, rose again, and now gives me purpose. You know, and the Bible says if that was you today, if you prayed that, that immediately, that bold prayer, God comes into your heart and begins to change you, shape you, gives you a new identity and new value. And I just want to help you mark that moment today. And we do this every week because it's so powerful and so transformative. And if that was you today, I'm just going to ask you, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to count to three and ask you just to slip your hand in the air and then let's make eye contact. If that was you today, on the count of three, one, two, three. Amen. Praise the Lord. Awesome. That's great. Lord, we just are grateful that you give us opportunities to be bold, to tell people just what you've done in our lives. And just gives us purpose and meaning. 
Lord, our lives make sense. God, help us to leave it all in the field of life, not to have any regrets that we stayed silent when we should have spoken up, Lord. God, we ask you to fill in the gaps when we don't know enough or we don't have the right questions or maybe where our tone was a little off. God, that you just fill in the gaps and that people will come to know you because of our witness. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.